In a world filled with questions, there's one role that often leaves us searching for the right words, parenting. Introducing What to Say When, a podcast that equips parents with tools to navigate the beautiful and challenging journey of raising children. Together, we'll explore a wide range of topics from handling tough conversations to nurturing resilience to helping you become a confident and compassionate parent. What to say when. Because the right words can make all the difference. All right. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, Just in case, let's not let there be any confusion. This is the What to Say When podcast, and um, it is about parenting and our experiences parenting and the things that we're learning about what it means to be a godly parent. That means we're going to tackle some of the things like what to say when your kid asks really tough questions or what to say when the world presents really challenging circumstances. And I am joined again, as always, with Chase Baker. Chase, right here. And Jen Akers. Yep. Hi. uh, Two of my dear friends and colleagues in ministry. And we're thrilled. My name is Nick Allen. And we're thrilled to get to be able to talk about the things we're going to talk about today. Yeah. How you guys been? Good. Okay. This is always fun. (laughs) I love when we get to circle up and do do this. When I see it on my calendar, I get excited. Yeah. This is such a good time. Um, Okay. I saw something the other day that I thought was funny. I I saw a list of hot takes. Do y'all know what a hot take is? No, but I'm glad you're... We... No. You've probably heard that phrase. I feel phrase. like I hear it and it's not... It's I just you don't ask. You have teenagers. Yeah, you've heard. Okay, know. so hot take is basically an unpopular opinion. It, you'll see them in okay. like the media a lot for different things, but there's also just like, okay, you have an opinion that other people don't usually agree okay. with. I feel like my life might be one big hot take. It might be. <laughs> I kind of love them because I feel like I make connections with people on hot takes. Like I find that person across the room that loves the thing I that I love okay. that no I one else does. Okay. Too. okay. So like one for me is... Jen's hot take. I love a hot car in the summer. I love getting in my car when it's hot, oh. which a lot of people don't. I think and I that's love why that it's a hot like take. The very least of any of the possible hot takes no. in yeah. the world. It's not I mean, bad. I, I actually don't mind it. I don't mind getting in a hot I mean, it's probably kind of because warm. our office is usually frigid and I like to go outside and sit in the car at some okay. point. Oh that's probably goodness. part of it for me, actually. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. I also love a hot cup of coffee at the beach or at the pool, like on a 95 degree July day. Yeah, hot coffee, not ice. But a hot car? Yeah, I do. Oh, like I want somebody to go and cool it off for me before I get in it. Yeah. Wow. I don't mind the... Now, my oldest daughter is like all AC all the time. She's always hot. And so we are complete opposites when we get in the car. She's so frustrated with me. Nick, do you have a hot take? I don't know. Do I have a hot take? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have one. You want me to take yeah, you? Yeah, what's yours? Mine is, um, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I don't know. I'm just going to shoot. Let's see how popular. Um, the, whenever I, like if I'm, ta- if I'm going out and I'm mowing the grass, I'm really hot, I go and take a shower, um, I like to take a cold beverage in there with me in the shower. That's so bizarre. You drink a Coke or whatever it is in the shower. You don't. You don't do I mean, that? Sometimes I take my coffee do in the you shower. Have a no, don't. Yes, I do. I totally take a shower. Wait, there's, there's, like a little shower. there's a little shelf inside. You like, guys have shelves in your shower? With like, yeah. you know, typically where like you would put the shampoo bottle or whatever. I put a little coffee cup on Y'all. the shelf and taking a shower. I'll take you a are sip. bougie. Is that a hot Next take? Next word. Oh, okay. You are bougie. <laughs> I don't like mayonnaise or any sauces. You know, I know uh, you don't like mayonnaise. You guys know that about yeah. me. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, not mayonnaise, so much. Uh, singles cheese. Ooh, singles, I'm not there for the condiments. I don't those like things. those either, actually. But I like mayo. I Ooh, put mayo on Oh, gosh. I know. I, I love it. I think it's it, great. I, this is what I like to say. It violates all five of my senses. Mm-mm. Even the word sounds yeah, terrible. Yeah. Mayonnaise. 
gross. Okay, I so love that, it. That's a hot take. That's what a hot take right, is. Okay. You might have learned something new. Okay, I like it. Maybe yeah. we can keep that going. Okay. With or okay. toxic okay. traits. That's I what like I've been that. hearing a lot of too. Like, oh, my toxic trait is this, and yes. it's usually something really funny at the end of it. I don't know what my we'll do this. Well, Let's do this next toxic time. Toxic trait next toxic time. Toxic trait. Okay. Write that down. Well, we probably should transition and talk about an okay. actual what to say when topic. And so this one today, it's a really foundational one. And it's not prompted specifically by your kids having or asking like one big general question. Um, it's really foundational because it's a core truth of our faith. Um, it's the primary role of Christian parents. If we understand that that role is to pass faith on to the next generation, a fundamental core truth of it is that we're sinners um, in need of forgiveness and this whole mm. position that we have to engage and then re-engage, something that we have to address in our own lives is that the world is really broken because mm. of it. And so what to say when you're trying to explain to your kids that the world is broken or you're trying to respond to something that's happened in the world and explain, oh, this is because the world is broken. So in this conversation, I think we should spend some time defining what that brokenness is um, and then building basically a fundamental definition of sin um, and how parents can relay that to their kids. Um, we can talk through what our Christian response should be to brokenness in the world, how to be a people who develop empathy and compassion, um, and then also how to be a people who respond with justice and the idea of what we're supposed to do. In There's a ton to cover with the yeah, idea of just yeah. the brokenness of the world. So let's get started. I mean, let me start with this question. This is kind of maybe a curveball for us, but I, I was thinking about back. When did you first, like, in your own, as, as a child, did you realize, whoa, this, this, is, this, this place is messed up? Like, do you recall something that's happened in your past or something that you're like, man, this is just not right? And you needed somebody to step in to help you kind of navigate that. To put a framework yeah, around yeah. it. Yeah. I don't really think that I remember not knowing. And and maybe that is, um, maybe that's the blessing of growing up in, in, in a family right. of faith and in the life of the church where part of the way that scripture was relayed is, you know, that Roman road path to salvation. It starts with all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Yeah. And so I just, I kind of innately knew that. Now that didn't mean that I always knew how to respond to it. There is that, that fairness, like that's not fair, justice minded, whatever that kicks in that says it shouldn't be this way. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that we all kind of navigate with that. We also wrestle with, especially with our kids, of knowing that there's a lot of people that grew up knowing that the world was messed up because their family was messed up right. or their culture was really messed up or something was going on. I mean, think about people in the developing world, not having resources, not having food, being in a war-torn country. I mean, I think there was always kind of a recognition for those people. Um, but for me, it was just kind of what the church instilled. That's good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I knew what sin was yeah. from a young age, but I think specific topics, elementary school is when I remember when lots of those topics started coming up or I'd encounter moments where I realized something was off and had to figure out how to talk to my parents about it and ask them yeah, yeah. questions. But I yeah. think it was in that stage elementary that I started asking more questions and specific questions, not just sin, but what's divorce? Why do people get right. divorced? Like what's, right. you know, that kind of a thing. And I think the reason why I asked that is because even going back to us, that somebody built that framework for us. Mm -hmm. and, and so it was important for us and, and how we uh, process things as an adult, it really um, starts when we're, we're young and started when our parents were trying to help us navigate and help us understand the brokenness of this world. And, and really 
put these um, these boundaries around, or a uh, framework is probably a good word for that, around um, how we process things as an adult. So this topic is really super important um, for our for our kiddos to understand, even in a world that's ever changing today. I mean, it's it's changing more more rapidly today than probably ever before in history because of the state of technology that we have today. So they're they're exposed mm-hmm. to so much more at such an earlier time um, that I think this conversation is really important on how how we actually do it and defining it, defining exactly what the brokenness is. And that's probably uh, there's two avenues for this because there's this idea of. Our, our individual brokenness, this this picture of sin mm-hmm. that plagues our individual lives, um, that's what creates the separation, the chasm between us and holy God, but then also just the general state of brokenness in the world. Um, that means that every society, every part of history, no matter how good something is, it's still not the perfect, accurate picture of what God had created, what God has intended, and what he plans to do as he restores the world. And so right from the beginning, I think... You know, with our kids, we we sought to describe the world's brokenness as here's the the picture of the perfection that God created in the garden, um, and then the enemy came in with a lie and said, "Did God really say?" Yeah. Um, and so, what are the lies that we believe? I think that ultimately, John Mark Comer has a great book out called "Live No Lies," yeah. um, and he frames for us kind of what the enemy does, who's the father of lies, everything that he says is lies from his mouth right from the beginning, but then also a worldly culture that's going far and fast away from the stream of what godliness is, but then also our own flesh. Like I just have inside me an innate desire to do what's wrong and that fleshy desire. And so what are those three enemies of the human soul? They're all indications of brokenness. And so helping our kids understand that from the beginning, that brokenness comes from not believing the truth that God has. Yeah, and there's a cause and effect relationship between sin, brokenness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's why I love disobedient opened the door to brokenness. Disobedience opened the door to pain. Because I think whenever we when we talk about brokenness, uh, to me, I, I, I think about pain. I think mm-hmm. about suffering. And so really disobedience from the very beginning brought in this, this open the door to suffering in our lives. That's the consequence of the fall. It's been here since the beginning. And helping our kids understand that concept is truly foundational. That is where we, where we have to start, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you were saying too, as a child growing up in a home of faith. I mean, I think that's where you have to start. You have to start with creation, fall, redemption, and tell the big story from the big picture so that you can narrow in on that and you have the framework for it to explain why we are where we are. Like you go just a few chapters in to the world and God's getting a do-over. This is not a moment to talk about the theology surrounding the flood and Noah, um, but then just a few chapters mm-hmm. beyond that, it's here are people settled in a city, um, plain of Shinar, and they're like, hmm, let's build a tower. And I remember thinking as a kid and maybe even carrying this thought into adulthood, oh, they're going to build a tower so they can reach heaven. That's not what scripture says. It says we're going to build a tower so we can make a name for ourselves. Um, and so I think we transition that brokenness to go, okay, the brokenness isn't just because I believed a lie. Obviously, that's where the disobedient sin started. But the brokenness is also because I want it my way. And that whole description, Isaiah describes it. He gives that whole, like that Babylonian mindset of not just, hey, I want to make a name for myself. But then he says it's, 
there is none besides me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do things my way. And so that's, I think, where the brokenness has to make it down to on the personal level that our kids have to realize that we as adults have to be reminded all of this exists because I believed a lie and I just want things my way. Mm-hmm. What is the danger in them not understanding this early? You know what I mean? Oh. So so if they, if we, I mean, I think we probably have come across um, maybe some some people who, who don't want to talk about sin as much, don't want to talk about brokenness, don't want to talk about our, um, our nature, right? That um, I think there's a, there's a belief out there that says, hey, we're all good. Um, so what's the danger in not going that way and not the way that we're talking about? I think it's probably threefold. I mean, for starters, it's just being separated from God's glorious plan of salvation. Like yep. salvation doesn't happen unless you recognize first that you're a sinner. Um, but then I think the other part of it is just all the natural and unnatural consequences that come from being somebody who... Mm doesn't recognize that they're flawed. Um, just the pursuit in general of tracking down that life for so long, the further you get down that road, the harder life is going to be for you and everybody else around you. It's mm, good. And we want to, we want to steer our kids off that path. That's the goal. It was the, I didn't even think about this for the notes, but you just prompted me, Chase, the Horace Bushnell, we called him like yep. the father of Christian education. Mm-hmm. He says we should raise our kids in such a way that they don't remember a time when they didn't know Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, And for us to do that, part of it is like to raise our kids in such a way that they don't ever remember thinking, oh, I'm perfect, you know? Yeah. And we do a lot, of, a lot of things to tell our kids how special and important they are, and they are. Yeah. Um, but it is a good reminder to build a foundational truth that like as important as you are to me, as important as you are to God, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. Yeah, um, and for our kids to understand, man, you, you, you really don't, understand until you understand the greatness of your brokenness you really can't understand the magnitude of greatness of God's grace yeah right mm-hmm. and so that's 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 the deal right you that we uh, raise up the next generation to fall desperately in love with Jesus because he came to our brokenness yeah right and he redeemed our brokenness the world has a picture of oppression I, and i think we we think we know what that means when it's talking about um Anything. I mean, really, history has all sorts of oppressed people groups and um, slavery. I mean, you don't have to go far from just thinking about minorities and all the relationships that have happened, like things that are oppressive. You go back to Gideon's circumstance in Judges. Mm. Is it Judges 6? I think so, maybe. Um, where the Midianites, Scripture says, were oppressing, once again, the Israelites. And the word oppression in that moment lean, means to make small. Mm. Um, and that th- I think that's the thing that we don't realize. I think people in general, culture doesn't realize when you're going your own way, it, it feels like, oh, I'm bigger. But what you don't realize, when you're going your own way, it's really just the enemy oppressing you and making you smaller. And mm. so there's a bigger, better consequence of sin in the world um, and how broken it is. It's like, we're just people that are not only choosing our sin, but oppressed by it. And that's something, again, we want to help our kids avoid. How do you guys think about, think through the word empathy uh, and what it means in light of the world's brokenness? How should that translate into our response? I know that with our kids, empathy, um, it starts with them getting outside themselves. Like, Uh I think, I think we have to deal with um, the me problem 
and that's that's kind of the, the thing that we're working on in our home right now with our kids is that they're not going to notice the needs of others when all they're focused on are the needs and wants of themselves. And so that's, that's just, that's big for us right now, I that's think. That's good. So the empathy, the idea of stepping in somebody else's yeah. shoes, right? You have I to mean, step out of your own though. Yeah, you know, wearing empath- two shoes at once is really hard. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And good empathy and sympathetic are two completely different, yeah. different things. We get them confused though, I we think. Do. Yeah. We do. And, um, and I think that empathy, teaching our kids, I mean, I, I, obviously we have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. Seven-year-old is... is uh, is she she's so compassionate and I think she just she has that mercy mm-hmm. uh, mercy gift that I typically don't have uh, but but just trying to educate and to teach um, I think you're right Jennifer just how do you step in somebody else's shoes as a concept of a seven-year-old and you, you guys your parents out there your kids are at different ages so I think you have to do this by by age and stage so you have to take steps into this we'll talk about that more in a minute but but um, where she is right now, how do you help her understand um, what somebody else is going through, not just what she's going through? I think that's good, Jennifer. That's a whole... I mean, none of us had to keep, teach our kids the word mine. Yeah. Mine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's mine. No, no, no. And it just comes naturally. And so even later on in life, when you're kind of explaining what that brokenness is to like older kids and teenagers, I and mean, we have said to our kids, like when you were little, I didn't have to teach you the word No. I have to teach you to say mine. It was just in you to yeah, say, yeah. I want things my way. Mm-hmm. I want to go first. And I'm not really concerned about somebody else getting a turn or getting what's fair. And and for our kids, a lot of times when they're saying that's fair or that's unfair, what that really means is I didn't get the most or I didn't get the best. Um, I love that whole picture of like, like to your kids, you say, oh yeah, to make something fair, you let one kid tear the cookie or the sandwich in half and they'll inevitably make one side the bigger one. Yeah. And if that's fair then you give the bigger side to the other kid. Yeah. And it's like, that's the whole picture of like what they can understand how somebody else might feel if. Yeah. And part of that is it's a conversation. We don't have all of the answers. We Mm-mm. have the ultimate answer, but we don't have all of the answers for every current topic and every current oppression in the world and every current um, brokenness that we see in the in the world. And so when they say, when they see something and they say, well, that's not fair. Yes. Or why is that happening? For us to not tell them how we can fix it or what, right away, but to say, why do you think that's not fair? How do you think they're feeling? What do you think they're going through? What do you think would help them feel better? Like having a list of questions that allow them to open up and allow them to explain how how they're feeling. And I think you develop empathy when you give them the moment to process that out loud yeah, and give them a safe space and let them ask questions too. One of the things that I've been super thankful for Rolling Kills through the years is because there's always been missional opportunities and that those didn't start when kids were old enough to really understand what they were. Like there's always been an opportunity for kids to be on mission, for kids to see something missional, not only to hear about it, but to experience it themselves. And if our kids at a really young age are seeing people with less or circumstances that are hard, even though they have difficulty processing what those things are, built into their DNA becomes this attitude of, wait a minute, the world <laughs> yeah, is messed yeah. up and I'm supposed to do something There's, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm part of the solution and not a whole eradicate all the problems in the world solution. Like we don't have all the answers, but I can be at least part of it. Yeah. And what am I supposed to do in response to that? And that starts with, what do you do when a kid at school got picked on and didn't have some place to sit yeah. or didn't get to be on a team or 
didn't get to have a piece of the whatever. Like, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I like that. And here's a here's a tip for parent parents out there with missions and missional living. Um, start to save something, a little something. Each month, just put a little, maybe $10, $10 each month to put towards a mission trip you and your family can go on or, In the or a mission experience or whatever it is. Because, I, uh, Nick, I think you're right. That we want our kids to be able to experience different cultures, different parts of the world, different um, different than what our norm is, right? It could be we're going on missions to Nashville. We live in Nashville. So we're going to take a day trip or it, it's out of state to Appalachia or it's, yeah. we're going to New Orleans or we're going to, we, we here at Rolling Hills, we go to Moldova, we go to, um, we go to Brazil. And so maybe it's one of those, but, but given a perspective, our goal here at Rolling Hills ultimately is we want every kid to go on a missional experience by the time they leave high school. And uh, we really our, our desire is for at each age and stage that they would have some sort of missional experience, right? Whether that's preschool or elementary or middle school or high school, have some sort of missional experience. And hopefully, maybe maybe by the end, they can have an international one. Yeah, we didn't want through. our kids to ever remember their first time serving because we wanted it to happen so young that it was just a natural part of their DNA, Yeah, like giving back. And I think that, I think we can... Even taking this conversation about empathy and the idea that God might use some of the challenges and the brokenness in the world to build us into more Christ-like people who respond with empathy, tolerance, love when things really are messed up. Um, when you learn to do that on small scales, then you're obviously more prepared to do that on bigger scales. Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of like two pathways we go from here. It's like, one, how do we build resilient kids who can cope when the world is broken or mm-hmm. cope when things don't go their way or cope when things are oppressive and super challenging, but then also what do we equip them to do? How do we help them approach what God's good picture of justice is in those moments? Mm-hmm. You guys want to tackle one before the other? Ooh. I think that um, as we look at brokenness, we, we've been in a series recently on Romans oh, and Romans five talks about um, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance mm-hmm. produces character and character produces hope. So really um, this idea of brokenness could either lead to hope or despair. And and so we paint that picture of, of how do we help our kids go towards the hope instead of despair, because we know that all these things are going to produce Character. It's going to produce perseverance, where mm-hmm. they resilient type of faith, and ultimately that's what that's what we we long for our kids as they graduate from high school. We want them to have a resilient type of faith, where where they're going to experience some hard times. They're going to see some suffering happen in this world, whether that's somebody that they know or somebody or, or something that they're going to go through. But but the end result for them is going to lead them to Jesus and not away from Jesus. And what I love about what Jesus has done for us in in John chapter 14, I believe, yeah, 14, he reminds us that you're going to experience all these things, but I, I want to give you an advocate. The advocate's going to be there. The advocate for us Holy is the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. All those things that, that we can rely on the presence of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And I think that is why it's so important for parents. Listen, 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 because I think this is so important because we can get so busy doing... Um, making sure that our kids are successful at their schoolwork, successful at all their activities, hobbies, sports, all these things that in the end, maybe we miss the most important thing in in order for them to have a resilient life, a resilient faith, is to give them Jesus and remind them of 
the gift of Jesus and really pour that over them and into them. Um, we just they need the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to provide that peace and give them perseverance and character and hope. Yeah. You know, one of the, I think I've loved the curriculum that we've used for a long time. Uh-huh. And basically for kids ministry, it's always been, hey, there's 150 Bible stories that kids in kindergarten all the way through fifth grade are going to experience over the course of all this time. And one of those, even at a young age for me, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery mm-hmm. furnace. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously that's a, a great story for kids. And Jesus was with them. When Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace, he saw four people. And one of them, scripture says, looked like a son of the gods. And the reason it did is because it was the son of God going right there with them in that fire. When they came out of it, they weren't singed, they weren't burned, they didn't smell like smoke. I think in this picture of hey, the world is broken, but we have Jesus with us. Um, There's also this idea of what they said before. Like before he threw them in, he was like, they said, "Mm, it doesn't matter because even if, like God is able to rescue us. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. Wow. And that picture of resilience of what we want our kids to be able to respond to the world is like, the world is challenging. These challenges can, Lord willing, go away. But even if they don't, God is faithful to us. We're going to be faithful to him. And uh, Beth Moore has a whole picture of, you know, God being with you in the fire, through the fire, or redeeming you because of the fire. This idea that like, hey, if the fire had killed them, they would have been delivered over into the hands of Almighty God. Um, Or they could go through it, or God could rescue them and and never have to endure it. And I think that's, we look at the brokenness of the world, we we can put that framework in perspective of our kids. Like, God could have made it so that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego never had to get into the fiery furnace. Yeah. And, and God can do that for us. He can spare us the diagnosis, the challenge, the ridicule, the pain, the persecution, all the things that go along with the oppression of a dark yeah. world. Or he can allow us to go through some of those things, but be with us in it. Um, that resilience uh, of what we want our kids to be able to approach any problem in the world to say, God's with me. And even if it's hard, he can still be trusted. Mm-hmm. That's wow. good. I like that. I think the one of the things I'm always trying to figure out is how how much how much do I want to tell my kid now? How much uh-huh. do I want to tell them later? And I love what you said um, from John, just the idea that we can't protect them forever, mm-hmm. but we can offer them hope yeah, yeah. within that, and giving them that framework of but Jesus in every yeah. conversation. I think is what gives the framework that we need for them to walk through all of the brokenness that they're going to encounter in every situation, which is such a blessing. And that is, that's it. That's the framework. Yeah. And we'll kind of wrap this up. We're coming close to a time, which means we're going to create another space at some yeah. point to come back with the avenue of like, how do you respond to mm-hmm. that injustice? How do you be part of the solution for the problems of the world? Um, but today, just to kind of rest in the idea of framing for our kids, the world is broken, but Jesus came to us in our brokenness. Yeah. Um, For sure. And maybe that's even the way to pray today that through the brokenness of the world, our kids would recognize their sin, have empathy for other people's and recognize that the solution is always trust in Jesus. Yeah, that's That's cool. How about you pray for us, Chase? I'd love to. Uh, Father, I'm grateful for today. God, I pray that as we um, talk about this, this is such a a big uh, topic where we, God, we acknowledge, yes, that we live in a broken world and, and, um, and we have brokenness of our own, but God, you redeem and you save. And because of Jesus, we can able, we're able to have uh, abundant life in you that uh, through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have 
um, experience the peace of God and have peace with God. And so, God, I pray that over our kids. I pray that they understand where peace comes from. I pray that they understand ultimately that that you are redeemer and that you came to save and you came to and you came to restore. And so, God, I pray that as we um, as we parent that we would raise resilient kids mm-hmm. who are passionate about you, who understand where they are in, in this world, but they have hope regardless. They have hope in you. Um, God, we continue to, to pray that you would just protect and provide. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you are listening and you made it this far, we want to thank you for doing that and invite you to join us back next time for another big rabbit chasing conversation about what to say and sometimes even what not to say when our kids and the world around us pose certain thoughts and ideas and questions. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, Jen. It's been fun. Awesome. What to Say When is part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe now as we take off on this incredible parenting journey together.